0: You know, it's all the same activity, I guess. It's all in the intent behind it, right? Because, uh, yep. yeah, we were trying to steal stuff, you know, generally speaking, uh, but we were under contract to do it. So, yeah, it's definitely not encouraging people to go commit crime. Uh, it's encouraging people to behave badly uh, under contract. <laughs> you
1: no, know, I would like to say, I think it also shows you what the ba- bad guys are, are trying to do with their yep. techniques. And
2: you can see what kind of code that they write. Hey everyone, it's David Bombal back with two very special guests. Justin and Tim, welcome. Thank you,
1: it's good to be here.
2: If you don't know who they are, they're the authors of this book, fantastic book, Black Hat Python. I've got the original, well, the first edition of this book, should I say. And at the back here it says, the difference between script kiddies and professionals is the difference between merely using other people's tools and writing your own. So I like that. Um, There is a second edition of this book, so you know, either of you just answer the questions as as you feel. What's the difference between the first edition and the second edition?
1: What this book does is it takes the first edition with the same ideas Justin had. And Justin wrote the first edition himself, but without me. And it's it's his hacking ideas. Every chapter is a different hacking idea. And what I did was look at it through a teacher's eyes and tried to add code and uh, reorganize code and bring it up to current standards with Python 3. So when Justin was do, did the original, it was Python 2, and that's what everybody was using. So yeah. now everybody's using Python 3, basically, and that was a, a breaking change for Python. And so there was a little work to upgrade it to, to port it to Python 3. Um, and also, as I was using it as something to teach from um, locally, just uh, to local security experts, I found what my students were getting bogged down with, or, you know, they needed a little help. And so I added some more explanation to the book. And also, um, at the time, you know, how security changes so fast. And, uh, the first edition I think was 2015 and windows XP was what everybody was using. And so now most people are using windows 10 or 11. And this is only just about the windows portions. There's a few chapters that are windows specific. And so I upgraded those to, uh, Work with Windows 10 and 64-bit machines, where in the past it was for XP and 32-bit. So it's up to date on the current, right now, uh, computers and software operating system that people are using, and also updates to Python 3 and the new packages. But it stays with with Justin's
2: original ideas on each chapter. So let's go back, Justin. Tell us how this book this, this book came about. You know, um, it's a really really popular book. A lot of people love it. So you know, I want to ask you about the name and stuff like that. But you know, give us give us a bit of a story. How did how did this come about?
0: Yeah, it really. Um I guess it kind of came on the heels of my first book, which was Grey Hat Python. I mean, we really didn't have a whole lot of creative juices flowing, and we said, well, let's just make it black hat. We'll run out of hat colors pretty soon. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you, though, what's two. the difference? We'll, we'll have to get to that, but go on. Yeah, and I guess the for Black Hat Python, it kind of tied in more to the consulting and penetration test work that I was doing at the time. We were constantly faced with having to kind of write tools on the fly or... You know, we'd get so far into a network and get stuck because, you know, all the tools we had didn't, you know, give us the ability to pivot somewhere or to leverage a particular vulnerability. So a lot of the time we were kind of writing tools as we went. Um, And so I thought, you know, this might be a great time to capture some of these ideas, both things that I'd kind of done at my day job and kind of some of the things that, you know, you put in the, Research pages of your notebook where you're like, oh, you know, it'd be really cool to build something that does this or does that. So yeah, it was a, a kind of a different. It came from a different place, definitely than than my first book. Yeah, so I mean, your your first book is is like malware, is that right? And your second book is like penetration
2: testing. Is that kind of a summary, or could you give us the you know the difference?
0: Yeah, so my first book was more heavily geared towards low level um, reverse engineering, building tools from the ground up, Um, you know, like debuggers and, you know, how to automate bug hunting and how to help with exploit writing. So um, definitely more of a niche crowd that would be interested in Kind of digging into the guts uh you know operating system internals stuff like that so that's really where i was spending a lot of my time you know in 2007 8 and 9 was a lot more reverse engineering exploit writing kind of low-level work writing fuzzers that type of thing and then uh, you know over time spent more and more time doing kind of traditional penetration testing work so the black hat isn't
2: like trying to break into companies um and steal. It's a—it's more for penetration testing. So ethical hacking type stuff. Is that right?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's all the same activity, I guess. It's <laughs> all in the intent behind it, right? Because uh, yep. yeah, we were trying to steal stuff, you know, generally speaking, uh, but we were under contract to do it. So yeah, it's definitely not encouraging people to go commit crime. Uh, it's encouraging people to behave badly uh, under contract. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is it, sorry, go on. You no,
1: know, I would like, to say, I think it also shows you what the ba- bad guys are, are trying to do with their yep. techniques. And you can see what kind of code that they write.
2: I mean, I, I always get a, a lot of flack on YouTube and social media about, like, why. And I mean, I think this has been young and forever is like, why are you teaching people to break in? But I mean, if you, that's yep. what a penetration tester or ethical hacker is paid to do anyway. And if you, you don't know, know your enemy. Yeah, exactly. If you don't know how to do it, how are you going to stop it? So, the, so the, the, the book came out of the fact that you, they were tools, but you were limited by those tools, and hence you would write your own tools to do more than like the tool set that you had, is that right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, just I worked for this great company called Immunity that was full of some of the best hackers um, around. And so it was, yeah, just trying to pull together, you know, as many good ideas as I had at the time um, that I thought would be genuinely useful for either a penetration tester or maybe somebody who's working at a startup where they don't even have a budget for pen tests, but they have somebody who's got security interests and they're able to kind of write some tools and do some tests and themselves. But yeah, definitely, um, really, it was just trying to trying to pull in some of these neat ideas that we had while we were doing this work on the fly. And we had a product called Canvas that um, all the modules were written in Python. So there was a lot of the ability for me to kind of translate back and forth thinking about, you know, stuff we had done in Canvas and, you know, stuff that uh, I was doing a standalone script sometimes. So uh, yeah, really fortunate to be at such a cool company at the time, too.
2: I was going to ask you why Python? Why not something else? Um, is is that the original reason why you chose Python, or was it more than that?
0: I fell in love with Python. Uh, one of my colleagues, Dave, uh, had you know witnessed me doing everything in PHP for a number of years, and uh, including yeah stuff that you shouldn't use PHP for, really. <laughs> um, and he had kind of threw it at me and just said, "Have you used Python yet? Like you should really." like ditch PHP, start learning Python, particularly for some of the sysadmin tasks and stuff that I was doing. And I fell in love with it. I'm not a strong developer. Um, I'm not someone who grasps things like object-oriented programming, a lot of fundamental things that you would see in C and C++. What I loved about Python was that it was readable, Yet yeah, like with very low kind of barrier to entry, you could very quickly become quite good at it. And uh, in the security field, it, it kind of became this language that everybody was using, um, you know, to write libraries or, you know, binary parsers or whatever it might be. It's just at the time everybody was writing Python. So, yeah, it was uh, not like, a, you know, for some uh, you know, like philosophical reason, or even some technical reason. I just fell in love with the language because I'm not a great developer, and it was quite easy for me to do a lot of more complicated things inside of Python than anything else. So your background's not programming. It is it, or what? What is your background?
2: If you can give us like a bit of a history. I mean, you've explained why you go to Python, but um, and Tim, I want to come to you as well because you've. I want to ask you a quote about a quote that kind of ties into this. But what's your what's your background, Justin?
0: Well, I actually, uh, yeah, I didn't uh, didn't. I went to university. Unsuccessfully originally to get into medicine, and I did get a certificate in computer programming, and I'd, I've coded since I was uh, shortly after I could read, since I was really little. But I, yeah, I had a pretty interesting career path, I guess, from web development to sysadmin work, quality assurance to you know reverse engineering and pen testing. So I think the fact that I kind of showed up when it was time to actually transition to a full-time security job doing this hacking work uh, i understood how linux worked i understood how windows worked i understood how networking worked Um, i could operate a web server i could you know write code for a variety of different platforms and and different stuff so my knowledge was kind of an inch deep and a mile wide so i was never particularly strong uh, in any one of those given areas, but I just knew enough to kind of stitch together concepts, for, you know, which became really useful as a hacker, right? Because that's a lot yeah. of it is being able to stitch together concepts on the fly or understand why you might be running into issues in the middle of a penetration test or whatever it might be. And too often, you know, I, I see people maybe focus too much on... How to run tools like Nmap or something instead of spending the time to actually learn operating system fundamentals or how a network actually works, right? Um, So, yeah, I I came from this really bizarre background and had a couple of tech breaks in the middle of my career too to do steel working and all kinds of other stuff uh, along the way. Yeah,
2: it's amazing. I thought, you know, just by watching Mr. Robot, I'd become a hacker, but um, you're telling me otherwise, yeah?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I never ever turned on a set of sprinklers and I can't ride a skateboard either, so I think there's definitely a, maybe a few things out there. Although I do like black hoodies, so you know maybe I got that going for me. <laughs> that's brilliant. So Tim, you,
2: I, I, doing some research. You, I think you, you, this, this, this is you that said this. When looking at code, make it work, make it under, understandable, make it fast. Is that right in that order? So, for me, that's true,
1: and with Python, that's not that
2: hard. Make it
1: work. You know that that means you might just draw out on a paper about what it is you're trying to do and i think a, f- a few minutes putting something on paper is better than just starting to type code but then once you know what you're trying to accomplish then you can start writing the code to get it to do what you want and then nearly every time if it's if it's more than just a little dirty script that you're just doing a one one off so you can look at that and re- reorganize it maybe rename your variables so it says more of what it's trying to do and another person are you six months from now can look at that code and understand what it's trying to say, what it's trying to do. And very seldom if I needed to make something faster, but that would be the last thing I would worry about is how fast things go, especially in a hacking scenario, because most of the time I'm not concerned about millisecond speed. So, but, but yeah, uh, that's kind of my mantra is, and I guess Donald Knuth said premature optimization is the root of all evil. So um, we don't want to try to make it fast to begin with. Let's just make it work.
2: So your background is, is, is coding and programming. Is that right? Give us a bit of your history and how you got involved in the second edition.
1: Yeah, well, I guess, you know, everybody that's alive probably has a twisted path. I, I started out in uh, sciences and agriculture and went into statistics. And in statistics, they kind of just assumed you would know how to use a computer and you just kind of had to figure it out on your own. So I'm I'm a little bit older than Justin. I didn't get to start when I was a kid. I started in college and uh, doing Fortran 77 stuff. So um, yeah, it's been a while, but I really enjoyed working with with computer programming and I was a statistician also, but I went more and more to programming until that's actually what I ended up doing, working uh, at a, corporation but i was a python professional python developer so i and also did some publishing stuff with a typesetting language called latex and some xml stuff but mainly yep. it's been python yeah you know you know latex
2: well i, I can't say i know it well but i, I know some people love it
1: yeah it is it, it's, it's kind of an addicting language it's very strange but um you know it's another language and it's it's nice to broaden your horizons if you don't want to just learn one language. But I think Python is such a great one to start with because uh, it's it's pretty easy to understand. You can almost understand what a program is doing just on the first read. Yeah. And uh, then there are all these wonderful libraries, and, and that's covered in the book as well, some of the... Wonderful libraries you have to make your life a lot
2: easier. So, I mean, would you recommend? I was going to say LaTeX as the first language. No, I'm joking. Would you like recommend Python as your first language?
1: Definitely. I, I think that that would be a great one to start with. Like Justin, I started out, yeah, not with PHP but with Perl, and uh, yeah. I was doing wow. all kinds. Of- I remember both. Yeah. Of Paul, yeah. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> God.
0: We all remember Perl. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so you know, I thought, well, Perl is pretty cool. I can do whatever I want to, and then I saw, oh. Now, look at Python, it makes it so much simpler to be able to get done what you want to do. And um, I just never really looked back and, and rewrote some of my Perl scripts, even as Python, to help help learn the language. But I think it it is taught in universities as a beginning language, too.
2: So how did you get involved? Was it you were teaching at a college, is that right? Or university, is is that yeah? And then you were teaching teaching. hacking, is that right? Sorry, go on.
1: Um, No, I was teaching statistics. Um, And then hacking is more like a side thing for me. I I consider myself more of a developer, a programmer than a hacker. I mean, Justin's the one that brings the hacking. And that's why uh, I kept his ideas of of the... uh, the first edition, because he brings all that hacking knowledge and ideas, the things that I wouldn't have known. And so I brought more of the programming uh, discipline to it. And It's
2: a great combination, though, isn't it?
1: I think it is. I really yeah. do, because uh, yeah. Justin's ideas would push me. I learned a lot uh, doing the book, um, and most of it was really, really fun, too. Uh, just to learn, oh, I, I know this part about programming, but I didn't know it could be used to do this, say, take – take a screenshot behind the scenes while somebody else is using the computer key loggers and things like that it's just so much fun to make a little tool that can do so much
2: but this book is it um, is it recommended for beginners or do you need some prerequisite knowledge to you know to go and get this book because I think a lot of people watching this are going to want to get this book it's highly recommended in the hacking community so um, you know what kind of knowledge prerequisites would you need
1: hey, Justin what do you think
0: you know part of me says uh, really Not a lot of prerequisite knowledge. I think that Tim in particular has done a great job of like kind of bringing you in, getting you set up, and you can learn Python as you go. Now, that's not going to be for everyone. So, you know, I think if you get stuck after a chapter or two, or you feel like, you know, okay, I don't quite understand some of the concepts, any kind of introductory course in Python will get you there you do not need to learn all of the ins and outs of python you don't need to learn you know how threading works or distributed queues or any crazy stuff that maybe a cloud-based developer would need to learn or someone designing a large enterprise system or a banking fintech system you just need the basics. How's a list work? How's a dictionary work? And then the rest of it uh, really is just kind of very specific to the task at hand. So uh, by the end of it, you're going to learn how to you know, talk to the internet using Python. You're going to learn how to simulate uh, web browsing, all kinds of stuff. Uh, and you'll write viruses, malware, whatever you want to call it, um, too. So yeah, I don't think that there's a huge barrier to entry uh, to get going with this particular book. You know, I, I've
2: I've seen in different spheres, like there there was this whole push in recent years in networks to to use Python for network automation. And um, I always like to tell the story of me taking a university course. And the problem with the university course is they were trying to teach me math um, with Python and it meant nothing to me. And what yeah. I love about like a book like this or any book where, you, where, the, where, the, where you, you're not trying to learn Python per se, you're trying to do something and you learn Python along the way. So it seems like that's kind of the, the same thing here. If I, I want to hack, that's what I want to do. Um, Python is going to help me tremendously. And I'm going to learn Python if I don't know too well anyway, as I go through it, because um, I'm talking too much and I want you guys to tell me, but I, I've, I've seen the code examples, you know, you kind of like mention what each line is doing. You explain what the code is doing, which is great.
1: I started out with the, the first edition of Black Hat Python teaching. And so I asked The students before they signed up to make sure that they knew the basics of Python. I mean, like Justin said, what a list is and how to write a function, you know, how to execute a program, Um, not a lot, but enough where we weren't starting with what is a variable or something like that. Uh, So it's certainly not entire an inter. you don't need to be an intermediate programmer you can still be a beginner and i like what you said because that's the way i think we all learn is yeah. i don't want to learn this language i want to learn how to do something with this language exactly yeah and yeah that, and i think for me that's the way i've always learned something new is by i need a project to do that's real and then i'll, I'll learn the the basic the foundation as I go. and I believe definitely you'll learn a lot in Black Cat Python by looking at these different chapters. I would say if you're just you know pretty new to programming, um, chapter five, which is about uh, web scraping, is a really good one to start with. A- any Any chapter would be fine, but I think that is a gentle introduction uh, to the language and to what we're trying to do. And it's pretty cool because you get some some results you can look at quickly. And that's always a plus because it gives you that feeling that, oh, I am doing it. I can do it. And so you build on that success.
2: I like what you did. I mean, right in the beginning, you like setting up collie in a VM um, or just showing, you know, use Kali. Um, it's the way it's, a, it, it makes it a lot simpler. A lot of the tools are already built into that. Um, you're basically teaching someone from zero. Sorry, go on.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I think uh, Justin, that, that's the way it is in the first edition as well. And I, that kind of gets everybody to the same level quickly. And so by using these VMs, there there's so much we don't we don't have to say, well, you have to install this. You have to install that. Um, so it gets everybody up to speed pretty quickly. And then some things they choose on their own, whether they're going to use an IDE or just a basic text editor to write their programs with it, it. It doesn't matter, but we cover a little bit of
2: that. Let's start a war, which, which is the best IDE? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go
1: for oh, it. Justin. No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask it just to get like get the flaming war going. I mean, let, let's put it this way. Which is your favorite or which one would you recommend for someone who's new? I mean, there's, so it's so personal. It's like it Vim. Really let's, is. let's 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 argue about Vim versus Nano. Uh, I remember the wars about Emacs and VI. But um
1: my favorite is VS Code and and uh go ahead Justin. Uh
0: I've been using Wing IDE for 16 15 16 years now. So I still use Wing although I do see a lot more people using VS Code. Um, I think they actually took Python seriously at some point in the last five years, whereas before it was kind of an afterthought. And so, um, yeah, I personally won't be switching from Wing. I'll be riding that Wing pony into the sunset for many years to come at home.
2: It's like a, a tomato, tomato. It's like a router router. It's like whatever. It, you know, Use what works for yourself. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And they, bo- they all do...
1: The same jobs, the the debuggers and stuff like that. It's just a matter of getting to know your tools.
0: Yeah, and that's the biggest thing I think that I really like to drill into people too, or students of mine, is that don't worry about writing code, worrying about debugging. (laughs) Uh, Debugging is by far the most critical skill that you have, uh, both as a developer on the security side of things, but naturally also if you're doing malware analysis or... Uh, you're troubleshooting exploit code or whatever it is any debugging skill is going to be valuable uh, for a security person long term so i really like really kind of hammer that into uh hammer that into people like don't worry about being proficient at writing code be extremely proficient at debugging it tracking down errors uh, setting breakpoints, single stepping code all of that is stuff that translates whether you're Looking at Python or whether you're stepping through, um, you know, assembly or arm, whatever it is that you're looking at, it's all the same stuff at some level um, and really important to be able to do it. Trying to find your mistakes is, is, is
2: the hardest part often.
1: <laughs> it's
0: Yeah, absolutely. yeah. So when I was going to the, sorry, go on.
1: I was just going to say both those tools, VS Code and, and Wing, both have excellent debuggers. So yeah, yeah it, it's definitely worth learning the tools on on that end.
2: Yeah, I mean, you should find the one that works well for you. Is that, is that kind of the, the moral of the story? Yeah? yeah. Yeah. And use Python 3 because the book's now all Python 3. Is that correct? It
1: is. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. think, I wouldn't in, in, advise anybody to start a new project with Python 2, but it's so helpful to understand Python 2 because there's so much code out there already, hacking code or scripts yeah. that you'll find. And it's just nice to be able to look at those and understand what they're trying to do.
2: So in the book, did all the modules, all the modules that you were using are updated, is that correct? Um, should, it's all Python 3 or did you have to like go back? Cause that's always been the problem. There's so much code out there that's Python 2. Did you find that all the stuff's updated and it didn't make your life too difficult or was it a bit of a nightmare?
1: No, well, I wouldn't say a nightmare, but all of it has been updated except for the part that uses Jython. And that's the Java engine for Python. And that is not, at the time I was writing, it wasn't upgraded to Python 3, and I don't think it is now, but we use that. I think the Python code really would probably work with 2R3 the way we the way it is in the book, but that's the only thing that we had to worry about. Everything else has been upgraded. Uh, the last chapter was a huge update in a volatility, volatility sorry. That's the last chapter of the book. And unlike Justin, I I, I did that as the last chapter that I wrote um, because I was waiting for them to upgrade their library because they were doing this huge update, rewriting it from, I think, just from scratch. And the, 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 they had had a huge reorganization of code. So when I was finishing the book, they had finished their rewrite. And so I was able to use what was current. So that was the one that was down to the wire. But, but we got it done in time for... Uh, you know, a second edition. That's but all the you know. other libraries were fine. All, all the other libraries that we use have either been updated or supplanted since uh, the first edition. So everything my, is yeah, right, right up sorry, to the top. Mind. They were updated right up to the the moment that we were publishing.
2: My favorite, I would, I must say, just because of my background, I suppose, is these the the, the, net, the networking portion which you do right in the beginning. Um, but I think that's just me being biased for, for my background and using Scapy, I um, I created some YouTube videos where I'm like inserting routes into BGP using Scapy and I, it was such a nightmare because Scapy seemed to, either the documentation or stuff wasn't updated correctly for Python 3. So I think what's great about what you've done here, apart from many things, or in, in addition to many things, should I say, is um, you've given code that people could just download and they can download that f- directly from publishers are right
1: exactly at no starch.com um they can download the code there and it should work just as it is in the book
2: um so, talk, so sorry go on
1: yeah i was going to say about the networking it the the first real coding chapter where you create a tcp server and it, different things on that level and it, it seems to be a very popular chapter and making a a clone of the netcat tool and so whether you use Netcat in your work after you read the book or not, you'll understand how Netcat works, um, because you know you've just created something that does the same thing, and it might not be as flexible as Netcat, but it but you can see the underpinnings of what what that tool is trying to do. Scapy, I liked a lot, and there were that was a that was a lot of new learning for me. I didn't really know Scapy, and it's that's an impressive library.
2: Yeah, I mean, how did it feel for you coming from like the developer side now getting into the networking, sort of the lower levels? Was it quite a, quite a learning experience or? um... It definitely
1: was. Yeah. And I'd say I learned on every chapter, I learned something new, but especially with the networking, because before I was more or less a user of networking tools and I didn't understand how they worked. But when I went through what, Justin had did and obviously when you you're teaching it to your students you you better be ready for questions um i i did learn a lot and especially that that first real coding chapter when you're making servers and clients and that netcat replacement and a, and a proxy server as well there's a ton of stuff in that chapter and it's really really interesting and the other one i liked a lot was make when we made our structures to hold an ip packet or an icmp packet because you're defining down to the bites of what's going through the net. And so that was really fun for me to see all that stuff that's going on in the network, how it's structured and how we can destructure it in our programs and then get information from it.
2: So apart from from, from that, are there any other parts that you like really want to talk about that where you've had like a lot of great feedback or that you just really enjoyed? Like I'm trying to get some ideas of like the cool projects. We've spoken of them, like Netcat Um, Scapey. any any other examples, like web web scraping is great. Any other examples? I mean, I I can go through the chapter list, but that's a bit boring. Tell us about some of like the the cool projects that that you've got in the book.
1: I I think, and I'm pretty sure Justin will agree, the one on the GitHub Trojan is really, really cool. And what's contained in that chapter just has like some toy things you could put on a, let's say you've compromised a machine and you're putting this GitHub Trojan putting a Trojan on the machine, you can configure it to do different jobs and put it in your GitHub repository what the results of that of those jobs are. And so that is really cool. But some of the other chapters that come later could be also used with that Trojan, like the screenshotter or the keylogger. Um, so you could build more abilities into that GitHub Trojan just by tagging on to the uh, succeeding chapters.
2: Justin, what gave you the ideas for the chapters. Did you, is this based on like your experience or is this just stuff you were seeing? Because I mean, you're covering a whole bunch of stuff. Did you just try and cover as much as you could or is this like based on your experience?
0: I think it was kind of a blend between things I had encountered on the job. So for example, I had been on penetration tests where, you know, firing up Netcat would alarm everything but they left you a Python interpreter, right? Uh, Which made your security failure. So you'd have to write your own, right? Um, but also I think being able to, for me, it was also, there was lots of stuff I had to teach myself as I wrote the book. And that was kind of by design so that, um, I could mitigate and kind of manage some of the burnout you feel when you're writing. The GitHub Trojan was kind of this blend of both ideas and kind of, I thought, you know, this would be fun. And, but it wasn't something I had written prior to the book. It was something I had to, you know, learn and write as i went at the same time so yeah i think it's it's kind of a blend between the two there there's certainly things in there even the volatility stuff same kind of thing where uh i was like this is a terrible way to use volatility and i want to show people how to do it because it's you know generally not used in the way that i described it um and so yeah it was partially me kind of having the idea and having a great publisher who was totally willing to say yeah you at some level don't know what you're doing with this chapter but we believe that you'll figure it out and that's one of the great you know one of the great features of having no starch is that their team understands how good security and good programming books are written it's not all going to be inside of the chapter summary that you submit in your proposal they know that there's a lot of freewheeling that uh, a good writer wants to be able to do and kind of do their own thing right um so yeah that's the, it's kind of a blend. Yeah, I was just going to say about that particular
1: chapter, Justin, there, you pushed me. <laughs> that chapter had some really advanced stuff in it uh, to be able to load a Python library by kind of hacking into the, the module, uh, the Python module, what loads those modules. And you could actually load a module through to github so you could load, you could write your own module put it out on github and then have your program load it and that was that took me a while to understand what you were doing and then when I did it was like oh gosh this is really interesting and i i googled around and tried to find other people doing it i did find a little bit but but not not very much and so that was really creative um so yeah that that was a really good chapter. And and of course, if you were learning as you were writing, I certainly was too. And the, the last chapter on volatility, you're right. Using a defender's tool as an offensive uh, tool is pretty, pretty creative idea.
0: Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's the thing, right? I think that it's always fun to, and I guess I've always been known as a bit of a contrarian. So I always loved being able to uh, abuse tools used for defense and kind of giggle to myself as we use them on the offensive side, kind of on the pointy tip of the spear, right? Uh, that was always one of my favorite things uh, Favorite things to do.
2: What, what I love hearing is that both of you wrote the book, contributed different like parts to the book, but you both learned as you wrote it. Um, you know, you you'd think the people who write books know everything, I mean, you guys know everything. <laughs>
1: You know, you think your teacher in front of you just knows everything. Oh, this is the way this works. But it's like most of the time you have to, the teacher or the writer has to struggle to learn and be able to give that to a student or a reader in a way they can understand it. And yeah, I learned on every single chapter and it, there were some that pushed me more than others because it just depends on what you're stronger in, you know, Um, so volatility that was really interesting and then writing a a windows uh what do you call it malware i guess because it's to be able to not put any code on the disk and have windows execute it and then you take control of the machine that was amazing to me and uh, so yeah i learned from justin all the
2: time what i love seeing tim though is i mean you you come from a programming background but you're getting excited by hacking
1: no definitely yeah it's something I just get that charge. I think uh, we've talked about it before is that dopamine hit, you know, when you are able to take over a machine. And of course, it's not that I wish anybody harm, but it's just fun to be able to take over a machine when it wasn't designed to do that. So I think Justin and I share that we we have a little bit of a problem with authority and it's just fun, (laughs) (laughs) fun to do the wrong thing sometimes. But uh, yeah, this book is meant not to do harm, but to teach people how to do good.
2: So if you could go back, let's say you were 18, would you become a developer? Would you go straight into hacking? Oh, if I knew
1: about hacking at that time, (laughs) I, I would have definitely gone into it. But it took me so many years to find out about hacking, which is kind of weird if I was a programmer. but. Now, I just thought hacking was like, ah, oh, that's that magic stuff those people do. I don't even know how their minds work. And then, but then to be able to see, oh, this is how it works. I can do this too. That's that's such a great feeling. So yeah, I might have gone into hacking, but it really helps to have some programming too. Like like Justin was saying just now, but about his beginnings a generalist. And I think that's really helpful for a hacker to be a generalist and be able to know, oh, there's this tool volatility that the good guys use. Let's see if we can use it for a bad purpose.
2: Yeah. I mean, my next question, and and sorry, Justin, did you want to say something on that as well?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I guess um, in hindsight, I think the path I took probably lent itself well to, you know, being somewhat decent at hacking. I probably, if I would have known that there was a career in it, I probably would have tried to angle towards it, but I probably would have then sacrificed all the programming networking sysadmin experience I would have got right Um, because I didn't discover it till you know about 10 years into my career roughly somewhere in there but yeah I, I did make a point of once I was doing this as a job to go around and you know, in my local city, and tell students in high schools, and elementary, and middle schools, and university, go tell them like there's a career in this, and it's quite fun, and you should still learn all this other stuff. But you know, I wasn't told this when I grew up in my tiny little village uh, of 500 people. You know, uh, hacking was a career uh, that um, wasn't a thing. So I do try to make sure that they're the next generation of kids. Um, they know that this is something you can go pursue right out of, you can be pursuing it as a bounty hunter while you're in high school, right? Uh, And like, these are things that you can get started on now, actually, you don't have to wait and you don't need a four-year degree. Uh, I was terrible at math. I was diagnosed with ADHD as an adult relatively recently. And it made a lot of sense why uh, there was certain parts of hacking that really latched onto my ADHD brain uh, and why I struggled with traditional school and, and other things um, because I, I didn't realize that I had this going on. Um, so I think that at some level, um, don't worry about what you think needs to be done. Just start doing, right? Don't worry if you're not strong in math. I'm terrible at math. Uh, barely, narrowly made it out of high school with my math grades uh, and still bad at it, but you don't really need to be proficient at it. You know, um, There's a lot of misconceptions around stuff as it relates to hacking or computer science in general, right? You can approach this field from a bunch of different areas and be really good at it.
2: I like that. I mean, I think the opportunities today are, are great in that, like you said, you could go do bug bounty, um, you can do penetration testing, you don't have to like you said get a degree you can just start uh, yeah it's there's so many uh, there's books like your book um there are resources like try hack me hack the box stuff like that
0: yeah ctfs too. yeah exactly right?
1: yeah, yeah try hack me is great and the, the, and just you know to get a Kali vm and start learning about uh, the tools that are available there and to, doing toy examples and you'll start to you know get some traction and be able to move forward w- with it. There's just so much educational material out there. That's really all you need, except you need a lot of motivation to make yourself do it. But if you're having fun and able to actually do something that makes you happy, you know, then that that can feed your motivation.
2: But another con- controversial question, because I've got to ask these. Um, some people say you can't be a good hacker or a hacker unless you know how to code or program. Um, in Python or something, and some some people will say you you don't need to. Um, I quoted like in the, this this quote that you got at the back. The difference between script kiddies and professionals is that you can create your own tools. So is that right? I mean, what are your opinions? And you know, I like to just get like the raw opinions of people who are in the field and who have gone through you know through this. What do you feel it's it's necessary? Do you feel it's it's going to help you, you know, what's your, I mean, I'm assuming you're going to say yes for Python, but like, what, do, what are your feelings and your advice to young people? I
1: feel that there's a lot of hacking that I don't know about. The hacking that I've seen, I think you need some programming. But I don't know that you have to because there's so many different types of hacking, some some web hacks I don't think you need that much code you need to understand what you're looking at but you might not need to be an expert in it but yeah for me and what I've seen I needed to know programming but I'm biased because that's what I know to begin with Um, I don't know how I would look at it if I didn't know programming so I would say yeah it, it would help to to know enough code to to write your own scripts and understand other people's but maybe you don't have to be a professional, though.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, at some level you don't need it, but it is a force multiplier if you are good at writing code. Uh, it will make you um, it will make you better in a sense of being able to automate tasks that might chew a bunch of time. Uh, it will make it so that you can. Debug and troubleshoot things, Uh, even in your own tool chain. If you have a commercial tool that you've purchased that you use for web scanning or penetration testing or anything, uh, being a developer, even when filing bug reports to those vendors, can be useful, right? Um, There's a ton of different ways, but I'm always really cautious that I never want anyone to feel like I shouldn't be a hacker because I can't code because that's just not the case and i worked with some extremely skilled people um, that didn't really know how to code um or weren't extremely proficient at it they wrote 99 percent of their code was in assembly you know they never really had to leverage uh any kind of higher level or interpreted language like python uh, and they were amazing right so um, i'm always conscious of like not trying to pigeonhole people or make them feel like they can't pursue a particular path. Because I know that, I guess I know that feeling where it's like, oh, I shouldn't do computers because I'm bad at math, which was actually totally nuts, right, the, uh, something I had to mentally overcome. So yeah, but knowing Python or any programming language is gonna be useful for you, definitely.
2: I like what you said there, I mean, it, it, cybersecurity hacking, whatever, is, is a vast field. And there's so many opportunities for so many people of different skill sets and different, uh, you know, um, strengths and weaknesses. And I, I like what you said, that don't let the naysayers and all the other people stop you. Because um, if you listen to them, you're not gonna do and discover what you're good at. Do what you're good at and do what you enjoy. Um, I know you, you, you're you really like open for trying to get more people to you know, get involved and not limit themselves. So I think that's great advice. Tim, I, liked, I like what you said, you know, you, you come from a developer background. Um, I've done some Dev in the, in the past and I find that, you know, Justin, as you said, it, it really helps you if you understand even some basics of code in so many places. Um, I'd like working with Scapy. just allowed me, as an example, as a, as a network-like focused person, if you like, to do things in a different way and understand things. It allows you to, you know, go deeper rather than just using a tool like nmap. You can actually understand what's going on and manipulate it in ways that you couldn't do if you didn't understand code. So yeah, it I, I like that. It's, it can really help you, um, Justin. I think you've said something about Metasploit. It helped. It might having a bit of Ruby knowledge
0: may help with that. Is
2: that? Is that kind of correct? Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah Actually, uh, I'm terrible at Ruby, so I always had uh, I always had this like secret part of me that I, that maybe HD would have uh, would have made it Python in the end. You know, back in the day, there was a handful of penetration testing products, all of them were written in Python, and I guess the original Metasploit was Perl. Um, uh, so yeah, if you want to do Metasploit stuff, definitely you're going to want to write, uh, be able to write some, some Ruby. And I actually haven't looked at Metasploit in quite some time. So for all I know, they may have some uh, some sideways uh, entry point there for a python developer but yeah ruby will be useful for uh, for that and same thing i think there's a handful of, of languages golang ruby python you know if you're somebody who who easily picks up programming languages i think that you know those are the three that are probably the most in use right now
2: so do you think golang will replace python eventually um in like field because of its concurrency and its speed and stuff or do you reckon
0: python is, is still the one to learn today i still think python is the one to learn today personally uh and i r- uh, manage a product that is f- probably 50 percent plus of the codes written in golang but i still think that python for for security folks is going to be the the language go i think is definitely when you're talking about distributed systems, uh, straight up performance, um, and just the fact that there are now books coming out where people are building security tools in Go. Um, I think the nature of Go being a very cloud-focused language as well is going to suit a lot of, uh, you know, if you're building big distributed scanners, that type of thing, I think you're going to see, you will get some performance benefits. But... I still can't see how one to one how go um, outside of performance. In my very humble opinion and biased opinion, uh, I just don't see the the intrinsic benefit between you know switching to go over Python. Um, there's just a it, it's a different language and it is a bit more difficult to learn um, than Python.
1: I would totally agree with what Justin just said. All the stuff in, in the book, uh, speed is really not an issue. If it was written in Go, it might be faster, but it, it really doesn't matter that much because we're, the things we're trying to do is, it. it it's not, speed is not the problem. <laughs> One of the cool things about Go is you can create an executable and ship it over to some other machine, but you can also do that with Python. And we, we actually have an example where you use PyInstaller and put the the executable the binary so python doesn't have to be on the actual compromised machine we can just put an executable there that'll run um so i don't see python has any limitations for for being a really great hacking tool especially with as much code that's already out there i think uh it's good to know golang and i like justin i think it it it's a great language but maybe it's not necessary to an expert in it but but knowing python and if you're going to use metasploit then yeah ruby but uh i think python is kind of the main language being used right now
2: yeah i mean i tend to agree i mean it's like um there's so many modules available with python and it can be used in so many domains um hacking is just one of them Um, exactly it's it's such a versatile language and I, i love it that you know when you we, you said that we're not writing systems that are going to be used by Google by millions of users it's just scripts that we're using so you don't need that performance necessarily um, but I also like the fact that you know Justin as you mentioned like if you're doing like like high, more high performance stuff like scanners and stuff maybe golang is the way to go so which would just remind me the language that you would recommend that I learn if I'm new to this is start with Python then would it be like GoLang is my second language, or what would you recommend? Like, give me three, or you know, kind of like a path of what what should I learn, or is it just Python?
1: No, no, I would say JavaScript. You need okay. to know JavaScript and Python, um, just because there's so much JavaScript code out there that's vulnerable, and that's really all I, I can say. That those were the two main languages that that I used. But Justin, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I was going to say uh, Python. JavaScript and like, um, you know, node kind of NPM, understanding that whole kind of ecosystem. And then f- after that, I think that, you know, whether it's Ruby or Go or whatever, those are great nice to haves, but I think for the modern kind of attacker, um, you know, understanding understanding that JavaScript, um, it's, and, and again, that was, you know, I learned that pro- I think before Python, um, so yeah, those would be my my choices as well, and stuff I see come up all the time, the, both in penetration tests and um, you know tool building, all kinds of stuff.
2: Justin, tell me now, you have changed sort of, I mean you've 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 got your your path has been windy, and um, since the first edition was written, you've done some you you've kind of changed tack if you like or changed direction. Could you just tell us what you know? what's happened and what you're doing these days and feel free to plug your product because I know you've got a product. Tell us you know, just what, 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 what you're doing since the book was written and you know, what tools are available today.
0: Yeah, so um, around actually the time that Black Hat Python, the first edition was published, I just became increasingly more interested in open source intelligence. So at the time, uh, I had a huge interest in um, counterterrorism issues, and there was a lot going on in Syria and Iraq at the time as uh, ISIS was really leveraging social media and uh, pushing propaganda, you know, things that we're pretty familiar with now, but Um, you know uh, eight to ten years ago was actually some pretty new tactics for groups like this and I found myself spending time writing code to crawl through Twitter and identify people of interest and uh, building you know image recognition tools and all kinds of stuff that really unless I was on a social engineering engagement uh, or doing some reconnaissance was really diverging further and further away from kind of the pure offensive security that I was doing. So um, in 2015, I decided to kind of uh, go out on my own. Uh, my wife and I started a business, and you know, I started blogging about writing tools for for OSINT. You know, whether it's blockchain related stuff, whether it was you know mining out metadata from the Wayback Machine. Um, I just found this stuff a lot more interesting. And along the way, I was also doing a lot of consulting. So I would assist companies that were doing investigations, uh, defer related stuff. And I would be writing tools along the way and, and kind of assisting in kind of dealing with large, unwieldy data sets. And um, I was doing kind of more traditional investigative work. And, you know, I shot myself in the foot once uh, while I was researching some, uh, some bad individuals here in Canada. And uh, and didn't preserve and didn't keep screenshots and didn't take good notes and uh, then you know that's where the our product Hunchly came from was uh, I was kind of pissed off at myself and said I need to build something that solves this. But tell us the uh, story. Because- Sorry to
2: interrupt. There the, the were guys that went to. Um- to 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 Iraq or somewhere is that right? Can tell us the story because I remember you like you said you were pissed off about it. Tell us you know why you were pissed off.
0: Yeah, so there there's a couple of individuals here in Canada at the you know at the peak of the the war. You know we'd have what was called foreign fighters, and this is the same thing U.S., U.K., anywhere yeah. where people were leaving our countries and heading to Turkey to then get into the war zone and fight uh, alongside. Uh, well, uh, mostly we were concerned, obviously. I think um, with Folks joining ISIS, and so these two individuals um, were here in Canada, and I had found them through one of my crawlers, and not uncommon at the time, there was a ton of people who were kind of, would kind of pop up and then disappear on social media um, that might be flying, you know, the the black flag or whatever it might be. So uh, one night I was laying down to go to sleep, and uh, I flipped my phone out. and uh, there was a news story from a major Canadian newspaper and it had uh, their picture on it because they had left and gone over to uh, to Turkey. And of course now people, the authorities here in Canada were looking for them. So immediately I jumped up, headed to my laptop because I'm like, I recognize, I recognize these two guys right away. I hopped on my computer and uh, all their social media was gone. So their Facebook accounts were gone. Everything was just gone. Uh, I had no screenshots of the stuff that they had put up leading up to them leaving. I had no kind of no documented history or anything uh, as to why I even knew who these uh, who these people were. And it, yeah, it wasn't a great feeling because I, I realized that I was fallible. I was uh, somebody who I thought was pretty diligent and in the <laughs> end made some pretty silly mistakes. And, you know, I, I realized that. um I needed a tool because if I was doing this, there's probably other people who ran into this issue. Um, So yeah, I I built Hunchly. It wasn't even named Hunchly. It was this kind of horrifying collection of uh, uh, extension code and Python. And uh, it just basically captured every page you browse to. There was no way to even go through the material after it captured it. You just had to grep uh, in your terminal to kind of hunt through all the stuff you captured. But then, yeah, I mean, through that, Lesson learned: uh, As I was doing consulting work, it we would get to kind of report writing phase in projects, and I always had the materials. I always had screenshots. I always had the stuff that people were looking for. And eventually, people I was working with were like, "How do you always have like? Do you screenshot everything? Like, how do you? How come you always have this stuff?" And I, you know, kind of explain, "No, I have this like crappy collection of code that's running." Uh, that's doing it for me because I shot myself in the foot and now I don't trust myself <laughs> to, to be a good uh, documentarian, right? Uh, so yeah, then people were like, well, can you install that on my machine? So I would literally be like, you know, throwing stuff into Google Drive and doing these remote desktop sessions to get Python installed and all of this. Um, and I started to wonder, I'm like, I wonder how many other people have this problem. So I started asking around in the community and and People were kind of responding back with, "Yeah, like I have that problem," Uh, so I'm like, "Okay, I'm going to build a product and see what happens." And that's really where Hunchly was born. And the the first version of Hunchly uh, was still Python. Uh, It's the dashboard was actually like an eleven dollar HTML template I bought from like Theme Forest, I I think. I probably have the receipt still somewhere. The logo, even the Hunchley logo, which is fairly identifiable now in the OSINT world, that was like a logo I snagged off of 99 designs, I think for $100, uh, something like that. So it was literally, I was just trying to get that MVP built and was pulling together whatever I could. And, and that's where Hunchly came from. And now I have a much better team of people who do a much better job of, you know, actually building a proper product.
2: But I love the story. I mean, it's it's that whole thing, why learn to code? Because you never know where it's gonna help you. And um you were doing coding in in various spheres, and one of them being penetration testing. But then you pivoted, if you like, into OSINT. And Yep. You used those skills and you took them with you and you could build the whole product. It's that whole thing, you know, you give a give give someone a fish and they eat for one day. If you teach them to fish, they can feed themselves for the rest of their lives. I I'm a big advocate for learning to code, and you, you know, Tim, I'm the same as you. You know, once you learn, once you've done dev, you you, you can never look at the, the world the same way. And Justin, I mean, your, mm-hmm. your story is a great example of that. So, um, you pivoted from penetration testing to OSINT and built this tool, and then built a business from that. Um, why OSINT? Is just more interesting, or you needed a change? Uh, why Why do you enjoy OSINT
0: versus like traditional penetration testing? That's a great question. I, uh, truthfully, I felt um, at the time that I could do a lot more good um, through OSINT. Yeah, I felt like I could actually do something or help close cases or um, find information that had impact immediately. I I found at that point in my career, a lot of the work I was doing was for large financials, and so at some level, you would hack into something. You would, you know, write your report. You would have the, you know, the follow up meeting with the security team and the developers, um, but you really didn't feel like you knew where the actual end impact was, right? Yeah. Yeah. You didn't feel like at some level. For me, at that time, I, I started to lose touch with, you know, I'm helping to protect people's investments or whatever it was. Um, When there were these human rights atrocities going on, when there were uh, serious concerns uh, around terrorism, there were, uh, you know, things like climate, a whole bunch of things where I saw open source intelligence is this way that uh, there's like some measurable impact. You know, there's something that can be done and it's not an abstract kind of um, outcome, right, where, you know. A development team fixes something in some system that no human being is ever going to see. You have to really like get your mind to jump over a bunch of hurdles to get to that point where you're like, oh yeah, I see how that like helped protect something. Uh, I found with open source intelligence, it's very direct, right? If you find evidence of a war crime, um, that you have the ability, like here's evidence, and and you know you can actually, it, it, there's not so many mental leaps you have to make to to see that you're doing some good. I love investigative work. I love digging at things uh, until you find that answer. And that is very parallel to bug hunting in uh, in hacking or even penetration testing where you may spend countless hours or days staring at and beating up a problem over and over and over again until something cracks, right? And that tenacity that a good hacker has translates incredibly well to open source intelligence, To just be tenacious and, and be willing to continue chasing stuff down until you get the answers you want. So tell
2: us some of the stories. I, I've heard some, I don't know if they've changed since you've done other podcasts in the past. Have you got like one
0: or two like stories that are close to your heart or that you thought were wow? I think that there's there's definitely been, there's been stories that have come back from our customers around Hunchley that are probably the closest things, uh, To heart um, cases where innocent people were released from jail because evidence was preserved that showed that they were innocent, where people were um, ultimately caught for crimes they did because our tool captured something they said online. I think those those are always the things for me. Where particularly as a technician, it's nice to have the human element behind those stories. Yeah, I think uh, you know on the investigative front, I've been really fortunate to be involved in anything from corporate espionage investigations to, you know, assisting A-list celebrities in um, tracking down uh, threat to life, you know, where um, I, I think I've just been really fortunate um, and lucky, like it really just really lucky uh, throughout all my career to be exposed to all of these different, uh, all these different angles and all these different kind of, uh, industries and people, but I don't. I don't have anything that's really leaping out at me as a as a as a war story that uh, over. You know, I think there's a whole collection of stories uh, along the way. You're gonna have to write a book. No, no more books. <laughs> <laughs> I said I would no. never write another book after the first one, <laughs> and then after the second one, I was like, I can't believe I did that and like even in the last six months i've contemplated writing a third one and i'm still like what is uh, there's got to be something wrong with me somewhere right Uh, and i can't use adhd as an excuse now because i've been diagnosed right put on medication so it's not that Uh, there's got to be some other thing going on you know
2: i think i mean a book has such an has such a big impact on people's lives i mean it's amazing you know as as a reader just to read a you know, right in front of you, someone's thoughts and you're taking yeah. years and years of knowledge and you're crystallizing that into like a few hundred pages. Um, there's mm-hmm. a there's a lot of power in that. Um, yeah, books are amazing. And I mean, I mean, the same with videos these days, you know, you can share so much experience in a short amount of time on a video. And it, it's amazing to, you know, just give back to others who, who are starting out. Uh, it's so much easier these days in some ways to learn and and it's also hard because there's so much information out there. Um, No, it's great. I mean, so Hunchly is is, is basically in the background is saving all this information because I think some of the stories I've heard is, you know, someone goes and deletes their social media or tries to hide stuff and your tool is saving all of that. And it's just running scripts and stuff in the background. Is that right?
0: Yeah, it's really uh, the focus is on the human being. So Hunchley's job is to follow the human along. Um, There's no automation. It's not leveraging any social media APIs or anything like that. But as the human investigator or researcher is doing their work, Hunchley's job is to preserve everything you look at and preserve it in a way that's court ready, so that uh, it's forensically sound enough that if you need to produce it as evidence in a in a court that you can do that but you can imagine you know our uh, folks in the CTI industry are they love it because when they're chasing hackers around or they're you know crawling through forums or whatever if somebody disappears one day um, they know they've captured everything while they're researching that group or that individual or doing dark web work where a hidden service might be up today but it is gone tomorrow so it's really that's its job in life, and then it has some tools built into it to just assist you as the investigator and to just stay out of your way, right? To, to kind of really let the human run with their gut instinct and their training and experience and kind of that intangible, you know, X-factor stuff that human investigators have. Um, our job is to really just stay out of their way and to, to really... Uh, So people forget about the fact that we're even there.
2: So I've got to ask you another dodgy question. Uh,
0: Will AI (laughs) replace humans? Not in investigations, they won't. Never. There's just no way. There's a lot you can do with AI. There's a lot you can do with well-trained machine learning models. But intuition, experience, uh, drawing these disparate connections that, you know, the supercomputer that is our brain, AI can only get so far and uh and there's just really uh i see it being applied particularly in like image and video stuff where it's a great analytical tool i think it's it's something that again is a force multiplier it means that uh you can get good information or or more contextualized information to the human faster or with lower effort Uh, but that human's the one that's going to make sense out of it Um, you know 9.9 times out of 10. Uh, So no, I don't see AI uh, replacing uh, human investigators anytime soon.
2: Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, it's, I think um, as computers get more intelligent and help us, we just find other uses that, you know, they they can take the low level tasks away um, and we can apply our brain power to things that they struggle with. Um, It's not like there's, it's funny, because everyone, you know, for years and years, computers are gonna take our jobs away, but it doesn't seem to have happened yet. And I don't think it's gonna happen in a lot of spheres, maybe in some, but not, not in a lot. For a while at least. Um, another product you've got is, a, is the dark web, but you mentioned that. Um, can you tell people? Because there's a lot of interest, you know, perhaps in the dark web. What's this tool that you've got that that goes into the dark web?
0: Yeah, we have a very simple um, distributed scanner that is just taking inventory of hidden services on Tor. And so its job is just to kind of go out and uh, it's not even doing any crawling or anything like that. Its job is pretty simple. It's just tell me what's up and what's down and try to figure out. Um, any new hidden services that we might be able to discover in those 24 hours. The idea was to kind of give this very low barrier to entry for people getting into dark web work. You know, here's a spreadsheet where you can actually go look at you know, whether there's, you know, hacking forums, whether it's uh, CSAM, you know, child sexual abuse material, whatever it is that you need to investigate it, you have something that's very easy to kind of understand and, and and kind of a good starting point. It will never replace uh, amazing services like Dark Owl, for example, or commercial services. Um, but that was really, that service, was yeah. really the free idea. Yeah, it's free. You just punch your email in and you get a report once every morning. And where, where do you get that? Is it from Can you give us the link? Yeah, it's at hunch.ly. At the very bottom, there's a dark web mailing list link that you can click on and that'll take you right to it. I mean, we've got to be careful
2: what we say. And obviously I want to steer people in the right direction. But if I want to investigate some of the dark web, I could get that list. And it'll give me some websites that I can go and look at. Is that right?
0: Yeah, it'll give you a place to start, right? And it kind of gives you the title of the hidden service too, so you'll know if it's something you should avoid, right? It it is illegal in I believe your country, mine, and Tim's to even view, you know, to view a, a, um, abuse material, uh, which means that it, you know, if you see it in uh, labeled as abuse material in the spreadsheet, it's very clear that it's abuse material. You go browse there and view it. You've probably broken a handful of uh, of laws. So we don't filter the results. We don't uh, remove certain things from the results or anything like that. So uh, it's really worth you know paying attention to that. There are also people who have guides out there on how to do this stuff safely. You can disable images, for example, uh, in Tor browser um, or you're you know any other browser really. Uh, you can disable images so that when you're out there doing this stuff that you don't accidentally you know run into something you wish you hadn't. But yeah, it's totally free and we have an archive as well. It all gets filed away in Dropbox. We have an archive of every spreadsheet for the last four or five years since it started running. Uh, and so we are also hopefully in the next six months going to be rewriting and kind of redoing some of it and, um, kind of modernizing, uh, it's actually like, it's all Python just running away, but it's actually been, it's uptime is measured in years. (laughs) I'm a little scared to touch it, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) it is time for it to get a bit of an upgrade. But I mean that, that
2: once again, just shows you the power of learning a programming language like Python, because you can apply it again in so many disciplines. You've written these wonderful yeah. tools, some paid, some free, that people can 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 use to improve their, their, their lives in the work that they do. Um, and that started because you learned Python in one sphere, but then you've just pivoted into another. So Tim, what are you up to these days? Are you teaching um, Black Hat Python, teaching people to hack? What are you doing?
1: I am not uh, near as interesting as Justin. Um,
2: (laughs) Not true.
1: (laughs) Well, um, I actually retired uh, last year, uh, so I'm not not programming. Um, I've been very interested in doing work, like Justin was just talking about, um, trying to detect misinformation, uh, setting up uh, some AI models, and so I... Like
0: so, you, so you out there to prove Justin wrong? Is that right?
2: No, no, you're no. <laughs> what I actually found was that
1: Justin's right. Um,
0: well, <laughs> that's not, a, not something that gets said very often, by the way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> My own take on it is, uh, we we need more than AI to be able to solve this problem. It, it is a huge problem, and like Justin, I wanted to do something where I could help. And you know, it looks like the world is on fire, and I wanted to be able to do something to help and i thought that was a way and i for me that's that's not where i want to put my energy right now so i'm kind of between ideas uh i'm still looking for ways that i can make the world a better place using what i know and that is mainly programming um and so i'm just continuing to pay attention to what i see and and try to find a, a new idea when it, when it comes
2: we we, we got to convince you to like do like training more like courses or um YouTube videos or something where you teach people because I think there's in my experience there's always a need to teach people stuff that you that's in the heads of the people that have walked the road before if you like or the experience.
1: I think that that's a really good suggestion. And the thing that that kind of stops me is there's so much good material out there already that I don't think I can improve on it. I mean, I really think there's some wonderful material. um Especially with hacking, there's so much out there that you could bring yourself from knowing nothing to an, a, a real expert just by following this
2: education that's free. And you see, I, I'm, I've always got to counter to that because I think everyone has a voice and everyone has a unique perspective. And that's why uh, I always encourage people to, you know, share. What's that old, old thing? There's always, everyone has a book in them, is, is that right? I think that's, the, that's <laughs> the the old way of saying it. It's like everyone's got something to share. Um, so yeah, I'd encourage you, please, you know, create something and um, put it on YouTube, put it somewhere that you, you share because, um, you know, maybe you should start teaching some of these old languages because the, the world needs younger people to learn to learn these older languages, right? Well, <laughs> bring I back don't Fortran, know. La- latex? Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about about that. I mean, I, I've tried to uh, proselytize LaTeX use, um, but it's a very strange, hard language, and uh, I think <laughs> people are pretty satisfied not to know it. But it's, funny, <laughs> it's funny that you joke
2: about Fortran because there's so many. I think there's some of the Some of the best-paying jobs today are Fortran jobs because the previous generation or COBOL, yeah, because it's like uh, people are retiring and um, the older generation is is no longer doing it, so we need younger people to to program.
1: Well, that's true, and our uh, math libraries are a lot of it is written in Fortran that that we use in our own programs.
2: I want to thank both of you, you know, for talking to me for so long, Um, but I I want to give you the floor. Could you share your thoughts to people who? say are entering cybersecurity or people who are just like younger. And I don't wanna just say younger because the audience is a different you know, range of ages. Um, what is, is cybersecurity a good field? How would, you, what would you be your encouragement or your advice? Let's say you put yourself back at 18 or 25 or 30. You know, a lot of people unfortunately don't have ro- role models sometimes. People, you tell them they're dumb, they can't do it. Um, you know, I always tell people to ignore those haters, and you yeah. know, do the best. But like, what would you advise yourself if you, you you had to go back, but you were starting today? Would you go into cyber? Uh, would you learn programming? You know, what? Just give us your thoughts. I feel like,
1: like Justin's background, even though it's twisty, it it hits a lot of points: like operating systems, languages. I think that it's good to have a good background that knows all those. Maybe not to be an expert in any of them, but when you know a little bit about the way something works, you can just find a way to get behind that, um, to, to be able to penetrate that. If if you're interested in hacking, it advice I would have is that programming, good word, force multiplier. Um, it's good to know that there's so much free educational materials out there. And to not listen to people who say you can't do it. I see questions about is it too late to learn programming? I'm yep. already 30. And yep. it's like, come on, man. No, it, <laughs> you, it's not. It, there's no age limit to this. You, you can learn it when, I mean, some of the things I was learning working on the book, I mean, I was 60, and it's like, this is fun. I'm learning, and there's nothing to stop you. They, they can't stop you from learning, you know, you can learn at any age and it, it's not, it's not like you might be better when you're learning a foreign language when you're a child, but you can, you can still learn no matter what age it is and you can learn how to do stuff and see the results. And I think that's one of the best things about hacking is you can see the results pretty quickly. And so you get that feedback that maybe a dopamine hit of doing something successfully. So I, I'd give the rest to, to Justin here because he's,
0: he's the one that knows
1: the hacking world.
0: My response might be a bit uh, surprising, actually. So what I would suggest to anyone, whether you're interested in cybersecurity or hacking specifically, if, and if I was to look back on uh, if I could have a conversation with younger Justin, before you worry about programming or networking, or any of that, my suggestion to young folks is first invest, truly invest in your mental health, number one. Um, Really, the sooner, and I say this to as many people who will listen to me, every human being on earth benefits from therapy, every human being. Uh, Hacking can be a mentally challenging job it can be a job that seems to have unbounded frustration. Uh, it can be a job that can feel thankless for days on end before you get a major break and it's all worth it. It can be punishing for your mental health at times. And I think that really and and for me and particularly what I see and what I've seen and through my own mental health journeys, is that um, I would have been a much better hacker and a much better developer, a much better colleague if I had invested as much time and energy in my mental health and engaged in therapy in these things that are largely taboo still. Um, I would have been infinitely better at my job and um, if I would have engaged in these things at a much younger age and treated them seriously. So my recommendation is that Uh, With you investing in mental health and in a lot of cases that, you know, investing in uh, engaging in therapy, even if you feel like you don't need it, it will pay dividends for you long before Python network knowledge or operating system internals. So that's what I would have told uh, you know, uh, young Justin. And, and that's really what I continue to tell kids today is, and people of all ages, right, is that this is a really crucial part to your life and to your career and uh, actually um, really has serious benefits for any technician as well. It's just not talked about enough.
2: What age were you when, when you were diagnosed? Which, H- ADHD, uh, last year right?
0: uh, last year actually so very well into my career. but uh, you know as a young person and uh, someone you know um, not so young anymore have battled things like anxiety and depression and didn't understand how to cope with a lot of these things. Uh, and someone who now advocates for therapy for as many people as are willing to listen to me. It's it's one of those things that you don't realize how things like Uh, anxiety or depression or even things like ADHD just how deep they they run into the things you do day to day and there are also real fears and and I have these discussions often I'll give a university presentation and I'll always have a student or two approach me afterwards and say you know I I was diagnosed with ADHD and you know I was worried that this would impact my performance or if I went on medication you know things like that and I think that The reality is that just people are not talking about these things enough. They're not talking about anxiety and depression uh, because they want to talk about technical stuff and and they want to talk about, you know, I think there's a certain level of, you know, ego that um, it makes you vulnerable when you tell people that, yeah, you know, I have ADHD and I've battled anxiety or depression. I think uh, people are sometimes a little afraid to be vulnerable like that. Um, it's also because the social media landscape's pretty unforgiving most days, right? Uh, so yeah, it's, it's really like, for me, I think, uh, these are really critical things. And when you're 39 and you get diagnosed with something that you then look backwards and say, holy moly, that actually impacted a lot of my life. Uh, it's also important for people to know that like, you know, whatever age you're at, if you feel like you're dealing with stuff that, uh, you, you can't, you, you know, it's like, you feel like you're too old or whatever to, to make a change or something uh, positive is going to come from. And I can assure you that, uh, you're never too old or too young, and um, investing in your mental health is—it will pay dividends far more than any other thing in your career, by far.
2: It's—it's—it's it's, it's amazing to hear that because I uh, there's another there's a, there's another guy I really respect, Stirk, who's a, a bug bounty hunter. He's, he's also recently changed, but he did—he he was quite well known in the bug bounty um, sort of world, and he said exactly the same thing. He was recently diagnosed, um, and he said it changed everything for him when he understood a whole bunch of stuff. So I think it's fantastic advice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sorry, go on
1: No, Well, I, you know, I was, uh, thinking along one track, thinking about the technical part when, when we were talking and Justin just kind of opened up the world there. And I, that's a really good thing. It's like, yeah, therapy for me, it, it changed my life for, and I'm a better developer. I'm a better person. And, uh, Anxiety and depression were something that I thought that's well, you just live and you just have to tough it out. And it, I might still have a little bit of that here and there, but um, having therapy gave me tools to deal with that and it doesn't have to be crippling. So yeah, I, I'm glad Justin said that. I went, totally wasn't thinking about the bigger world outside technology, but
2: yeah. But what you said was really cool as well. I mean, you said you were, did you, did you say you were 60 when you were, when you were learning some of the stuff yeah. in this book? Is that right? I mean, that's an encouragement. I love that. I mean, I get that question all the time as well. It's like, am I too old to learn Python? And I'm 25. It's like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 30, I know. right? It's, it's too late. Well, yeah, I know. Well, my,
1: my mother picked up the iPad when she was 80, I guess, and she's learning how to get communicate with people that way. So she still learns. I don't, I don't think there's any time we can't learn.
2: I hope I not. <laughs> I mean, I love it. You, you, you're you, getting excited about um like cyber and like, uh, you know, owning a box and you like um, a bit, uh, let, let's just say, you're a, bit more, you're a bit more mature than most of us. Um, and uh, I, I think it's, it's fantastic to hear that and it's fantastic to hear both sides. So I really appreciate both of you, you know, sharing, you know, your views. It's so important to hear both sides. Um, anything else you want to say before we wrap it up? This has been great. I really appreciate the time,
1: and I truly mean that.
0: Yeah, uh, this has been awesome, and I really appreciate the opportunity to bring both of us on. and uh, And you have a great channel, and, and you do such a great job. So just thank you so much for uh, for having us.
2: Uh, thanks to both of you. I mean, it's um, it's it's amazing to be able to talk to the people behind the book, uh, because, just like what you said right at the end here. You know, you you're a human. You're not. You you like all of us. I mean, when you when you see a book like this, you think these guys are like geniuses. They have
0: no wrongs. (laughs) They have they they like (laughs) perfect in every way. Sorry, I said far from it. (laughs) (laughs)
2: No, it's it's nice to be inspired. That both of you, you know, went on a journey like so many of us are. and Tim, I, I find it really inspirational that you were learning some of this later in life, um, and you're not letting that stop you, and you're getting excited about about it. And Justin, how you, you know, took your knowledge and wrote books. And it's funny how you said you're a, you're a, you're a well-known author, but you struggle to write another book. We want you to write more books. Um, it's nice <laughs> to get you know all the emotions and the and the reality behind you know just the book because the book in itself is just. One part of you. So, thanks so much for you know sharing more than you know just techie stuff. It's great to hear, you know, um, the stories. How can people connect with both of you? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people that are going to want to connect. Tim, I saw that your Twitter or well, the one that's listed, I think, on the in the book or on the website is down. You, have you got a Twitter account? What's the best way to you know uh, contact you? I am sorry about
1: that. I, I I found that social media was really making my life. Uh, it wasn't helping, so I'm yeah. just available by email at tim at reachtim
2: No, you don't need to apologize. I mean, it, it's it's a problem with social media, and it's 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 nice to hear that you know you you two are really famous for writing the book, um, but you've also you have the struggles that a lot of us have. So that that's fine. There's no need to apologize. Sorry, go on.
1: Yeah, it's just it it wasn't making me more healthy. (laughs) So I guess it was going the other direction. So I just did what I felt
2: like I needed to do. So thank you. And Justin, what's the best way to reach you? Is it um,
0: email or social media? Yeah, you can reach me uh, uh, on Twitter, JMS underscore D-O-T underscore P-Y, or just send me an email, justinsights at gmail.com. Works perfectly fine. So thanks again to both of you. I really appreciate
2: you taking so much of your time and sharing um, and inspiring. I think that's the big thing I always want to, you, you, you know, hopefully get out of an interview. And that's what's definitely happened this time is inspiration for people to know that they, even if they're struggling, they can change their lives by studying, by reading, by, you know, putting the effort in. So thanks so much to both of you. Thank you. Thank you.